You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I am Martina Cunha, and you are listening to Backstage Talk. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Backstage Talk. Today I have the privilege of interviewing the creators of a new musical called The Aviatrix. Today I am with Lily Doskin and Casey O'Neill. So thank you for being here. I am really privileged and honored to have you over. Um, I am going to let you introduce yourself for a bit and we'll get going. Thank you so much for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Um, I'm Lily Dwoskin. I was the book writer and lyricist on The Aviatrix. And I'm Casey O'Neill, the composer. Great. Um, first thing I want to know is, have you ever written a musical before? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, we, we've written quite a few, although this was the first that we wrote with each other. Yeah. Um, but we both attended um, NYU's graduate musical theater writing program um, in different years. Um, but uh, Casey yeah. was there first. Um, I actually graduated right as Lily came in, and that's that's right when we met. Was overlapping there. Yeah, we, they they like to keep the alumni active with the current students. So um, at one of those alumni mixer type of events is where we met for the first time. Well, long story short, we've both written quite a number of musicals at this point. I mean, we had to have written at least one coming out of the program. Uh, but since then, we've both been very active in writing not just musicals, but plays and other content as well. So we've, we've got a few under our belts at, at this point. That's awesome. That I Actually, one of the programs I, I saw when I was going into college was NYU's musical theater writing program. And it's just, wow, it's mind blowing. Um, it was a really great experience. Oh, yeah. we, we would both recommend it um, yeah, to anyone, anyone who's interested. It, it's really comprehensive. Uh, it us. is rigorous, but it is incredible. I went into the program never having written a lyric before. I thought I was uh, a playwright who was going to learn how to be a book writer. Um, and I came out like more confident in my lyrics than I could have ever imagined. I met, you know, 30 other amazing people, um, not to mention all of the brilliant alumni um, and faculty at, who I keep in touch with to this, you know, to this day. Yeah. And I, I went in not knowing what on earth scansion was. I came from a 
classical trombone performance and film scoring background and decided to jump headfirst into musical theater. I, you know, I didn't know who Michael John Lacusa was, even though he was one of my teachers. So, uh, you know, that program really intensely just was like, here you are, musical theater. And you had never seen a, a William Finn musical. And oh, I didn't know who he, he was. Asked, and he I was in his class. In class. And he's like, wait, you don't, you don't know my oh. shows? And I was like, no. <laughs> but you're right. But you know now, that's the point. I do, yes. So when, when did you start writing together? So this was our first project together, although we've been together um, for some time. Yeah. Oh, gosh, has it been? It's has it been almost, five and a half years we've been together. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. um, and we got married a year and a half ago. And we, I mean, we were trying out a couple ideas for shows. Like, uh, we, right after we got engaged, we did a trip to Alaska and we wanted to write a show based on the town of Skagway. And we just weren't finding the heart of it. And then we had this weird, you know, weird idea about like a, a, a neo swing sort of modernized Macbeth thing. And, it was fun for a while, but then we... Um, it didn't hook us. Yeah, we were having trouble with it. And, and you know, to get to the genesis of, of how we got to the Aviatrix, like, we... It was a really hot... I mean, it was like 100 or something degrees uh, two summers ago in New York City. And uh, we ended up out on the island uh, hanging out with my family. Long Island, uh, that's where I'm from. And uh, that day, we, we were hanging out with my sister and her kid. Yeah, and they had the membership to the um, the Cradle of Aviation Museum in Garden City and invited us to come along. Um, and we were there, you know, at, we like um, aviation, but also for the air conditioning. Mm-hmm. We were taking a little tour um, with one of the guides. And um, because I'm me and I always ask about feminism, I asked well, where are the women pilots? They're mu- they must be here. Mm-hmm. And he had this little twinkle in his eye, and he said, oh, just you wait. Um, and he took us over to an exhibit on Harriet Quimby, and they had a mannequin there with her exact purple flying suit next to her Blario plane, um, and he told us her story. And we, I think we had the synchronized mind thing. It was on. one of those, like, we know each other well enough that we have these silent conversations with each other um, where we can read each other's thoughts as the guy is telling us about Harriet Quimby. Um, and so without like another word, as soon as he was done, we ran over to the gift shop. We purchased her biography and that night we were reading it, highlighting it, taking notes. And it, the next day, did we write, look up? Yeah. We had a song pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. I think the next, a, a version of look up back when it was the opening number. And oh, the show has changed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was like uh, July of 2018. Twi- yeah. 2019. 2019? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 2019 that we started it. Um, so, and then we quickly had a draft done and we were planning to do a reading of that first draft, like April 18th of 2020. And we the day we sat down with this new director that we were talking to about directing the reading was the day... It was the day Broadway shut down. Yeah. 
So, um, and, and, you know, we had heard rumors about everything, maybe shutting down. We had this meeting like going like, are, are we going to meet? Probably it'll be fine. It'll be two weeks. Um, you know, and then of course that got postponed to June and then got that got postponed indefinitely. And, uh, at which point we were just like, you know, we got to do something with this, which inevitably led to what, what we ended up producing. That, that is an awesome story about how everything started. And I love that you two have this silent language between you two. And as soon as this guide in the museum started talking about Harriet Quimby, you both, I, I can imagine, I can picture it in my mind, like you, you both stare at each other and like did like a, a little smirk. And you both knew that this was going to be your, your next project. I mean, that is really awesome. Um, I think we both, when he was telling us about how she was such an inspirational figure, not only in aviation, but to women, and we saw how high she rose in her career and then so tragically died young. And there was so much irony woven into the story and almost like fate was it felt like was written into the story inherently it was just like how how have we not heard this before not only that um casey has like a history of writing about air and space and i have a history about writing about feminist figures so it seems obvious yeah <laughs> it, it was meant to be i mean mm -hmm. the two of you were meant to write this show um i mean i'm, I'm, I'm starstruck about it it's like the perfect destiny and universe conspiring for you two to write this mm -hmm. um so what does the story cover because i i know i've seen on your instagram that you have a lot in the of, of performers in the cast mm -hmm. mostly women so i i guess it's not only the story of harriet Well, um, the protagonist of the story is Harriet, um, and you're right that there are a lot of women um, in the cast. It's an all-femme-presenting uh, um, cast of seven women. Um, this show's mainly about Harriet, but also a significant character um, is Mathilde Moissant, um, who was Harriet's best friend and also the second woman to get her pilot's license in the United States. She's also amazing and the more we learned about her the more we were like oh what more detail yeah. can be added about her she mm -hmm. she went from a supporting character to almost a dual protagonist by the end of this current draft mm -hmm. and, and may may even go further yeah, in we, a further draft we have more plans for her perhaps um in the next draft of course so brilliantly portrayed uh, by holly Wool. yeah oh gosh every i could they're amazing yeah everyone in the cast is amazing uh but um Pretty much everybody is playing somebody that actually existed mm -hmm. in real life. Um, With John the exception of the muses, of course. They're a storytelling <laughs> yeah. device, but uh, yes, everyone but they, else. They also yeah. play some real people. Yes, this is true. We have uh, three muse um, who are, are uh, sort of ensemble characters who play many different roles. Um, and they all they each play a lot of roles, and they each had their kind of path and we we tracked them specifically and we thought a lot about who mm -hmm. would play what role i mean they're they're covering a bunch of other real pirate pilots that were around back then the adjudicators for the pilots exam they cover uh the man who uh, created the purple flying suit even though harriet designed it uh, we have the, the reporters yeah the uh vinfiz representative 
uh, all people who were either exactly real or are estimations of the exact real people. It's actually interesting. Like the the history of it all is so fascinating. Um, and the thing about writing a musical based on real life um, it, is that there's always so many juicy historical goodies mm-hmm. in there, and you don't want to lose any of it. But you also want to have a streamlined narrative um, that makes sense. It's clear um, and and tells the truth underneath the truth oh yeah um so that was very difficult uh, because i found every single piece of it fascinating and so did so many members of our team and they were just like we don't want to lose this this part's so cool and we were like yes it is there's no room for it anymore though so in addition to being um the first woman in, in america to get her pilot's license and the first woman in the world to fly across the english channel harriet quimby was also a really successful reporter um, and we were able to include a lot of that side of her life in it. But before that, she had a whole, like, years in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. um, she, you know, wrote a bunch of screenplays. She and, was the first woman credited to write screenplays. And, and uh, grew up starting, like, on a farm, you know, with, with her mother. And we tried to include little bits of uh, historical nuggets mm-hmm. when we could, but it almost, like... It hurt to lose anything because everything she did was, was, its, own, was its own musical. You yeah. know, but it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in, in addition to that, um, you mentioned the Vin Fizz. Yeah, Vin Fizz um, was a product um, by our Moran company, who were one of the first innovators in marketing, and were doing. You, you know, they had their Vin Fizz flyer, where they were one of the first companies to ever do aerial marketing. And that is its own juicy history mm-hmm. and how that was intertwined. And it could only just be a small part of our show. And I think they were one of the first companies to use sponsors. Mm-hmm. So to, to have someone who's a big public figure being your sponsor, uh, and I think that technically made Harriet the first female sponsor f- for a company or first female mm-hmm. spokesperson. Don't quote us on that. We'd have, we'll have yeah. to. <laughs> we have to double check that. But I, I do think that that's the case. Uh, but to sort of to circle around what is what does the story cover uh is essentially the last two years of of harriet's life which are the two years in which she flew and did she did so much in those two years but it was only i mean i think it was just slightly under two years um she moves to new york gets her big time journalism gig uh at leslie's illustrated and she makes a big splash there but by by doing that job, she accidentally gets introduced to aviation. She went to the very first aviation show out in California, and that's where she fell in love with the sport. And then she met Mathilde Moisson, and then she met Mathilde's brother, John, who was one of the leading aviators of the day. They literally called him King of the Aviators, and she coerced him to let herself and Mathilde take flying lessons at their school out on Long Island. Right, because the Wright brothers weren't allowing women into their school mm-hmm. at the time. So uh, that's that's pretty much where our story starts, and it covers her rise and her, her achievements and her failures throughout that time uh, into when she eventually uh, gets her pilot's license, she becomes a national star, uh, and ironically, a, a leader of... I shouldn't say a leader... An inspiration for feminists across the nation and suffragettes, even though she didn't really need to be. She was vocal about that she wasn't a feminist. Yeah. 
So, so that was, it, it's, it's an interest. It's one of those interesting things that like we really wanted to write into the show because it's so cool and so interesting. And she was a great feminist icon and we need more of those even today. Uh, but you know, she, she was vocal about how she wasn't a feminist and then we didn't, ju- we just didn't have room in the show for that. Uh, based on the story we wanted to tell. So we, we follow her trajectory, rising, rising, rising into career, but also what's just as important, if not more important throughout the whole show is her relationship with Mathilde, who was really, from what we have learned, they were bosom buddies and they kind of had this falling out from when Mathilde, the longer she flew, the more she realized that one day this guy was going to claim her. And that that was really the fate of all pilots who flew long enough, including her brother, John. Uh, And so we see that in the show. And eventually, you know, Mathilde has an accident, decides she's not going to fly anymore and tries to convince Harriet to not fly. But Harriet is so taken by this adventure in her life that she continues to do it until it's too late. Mathilde, on the other hand, she uh, she lived a long life mm-hmm. um and didn't fly fly again until world war one I, I think world war one it was one of the world wars i don't remember but she flew uh, um where she medical planes yeah where she flew medical planes um and that was the last time she flew mm-hmm. she lived into her 80s that, that is a lot to cover and yeah. and it's i mean <laughs> it has so many twists and turns and 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 a lot of characters that i can't imagine how difficult it was to to decide what parts of the story fit mm-hmm. in. Um, it's like making a puzzle. Um, yeah, I really do like to like concentrate on on that part because you both have spoken that you want to portray the story as this feminist icon, even though she Harriet Quimby didn't identify herself as as a as a feminist because she is an icon without a doubt. And even if she wanted to or not to be one, she is. Um, what was that difficult into the writing of the character? Like deciding what, if, what happened in real life and what your aims as writers were? Well, what's, what's uh, very interesting about Harriet, um, because what, was, what we were taken with most when we first were introduced to her um, was was how much she did, um, and how every how everyone loved her, how she was beautiful and charming, and it seemingly nothing could stop her. Um, and what we were searching for was some conflict with that because it seemed like everything she did, everything she wanted to do, she accomplished um, and with practically no challenge. And mm-hmm. that's you know, it's not interesting to see a paragon on stage. Um, and we knew there must be some conflict there, uh, because there has to be. Um, and so we we looked within her, um, and and that's where we really discovered the theme of the show, um, which is what would you sacrifice for your dreams? You know what what are you giving up by going for all that? Um, with the with the feminist thing, I I think if she lived today, she would identify as feminist. Um, I, the movement has grown and changed so much, um, since then and and society has changed and accepted terms differently Mm -hmm. than they did then. Um, but we did include, um, one 
one quote in the show that I really like when, oh, yeah. when she said, flying is easier than voting. Because at the time, women weren't, didn't have the vote, but she had gotten her pilot's license. That, that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> that is harsh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, w- I would just add to that, you know, I, I think... I think we we ultimately decided, whether it was conscious or not, that we needed to find ways to show how much of an amazing feminist icon she was, despite how she felt, as opposed to telling people she was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't have to write a story. We didn't have to write a plot mm-hmm. around her iconicism, if that's the term, <laughs> around her, her icon-ness uh, <laughs> at, as, as, a, as a woman leading in a field that, in me, multiple fields that men dominated. Uh, yeah, and just showing her doing it, I think, was enough. And we didn't need to waste any structural areas in the show on, on telling you something that you could just perceive through the rest of the story. And I, I think we did a good job of that. And I think that she's an inspirational character, regardless of the fact of how much we leaned on that theme. Yeah, we went back and forth on how much misogyny to actually show, to, like, mm-hmm. to portray in the show. Um, and I, I think we struck a good balance with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there, but it's not like over. you're seeing the patriarchy over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and one important thing, I think, decision we made was to cast um, an all-femme-presenting cast really puts the story in the hands of women mm-hmm. takes it away from the patriarchy yeah i i honestly want to see the show <laughs> like i want to know more about it i want to see it produced i want to i want to i need a cast recording i need, I need to <laughs> dive in into this gosh so this. do we let's get this pandemic over <laughs> <laughs> um so what how is the writing and composing process Because yeah. you've got a lot of information, so you had to cut, I guess, big chunks of literal history to yeah. fit them in into a maybe two hour and a half show. I, I mean, so much. We could have we could have written probably six musicals out of the amount of content that her life provided. And even even though the information on her out there is slim relative to other historical figures, it was, it was enough that we could say, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing over the course of her 38 years and, and then be able to do our own interpretation and to tell our, to, to focus on her story in a way that we feel we can tell it. So it was like just that perfect balance. There wasn't too much and there wasn't too little, but to, to, To find the focus, I mean, we really thought about what is our theme, what are the concepts that we were trying to tell, and then we decided what the what the beats in her life were that helped tell that story. And yeah, we wrote a lot of songs um, mm-hmm. while we were figuring that out. Um, we like to joke that we could fill a second musical with the amount of songs we cut and rewrote. It's less of a joke and just it's more just, of a statistic. It's just reality. I think I think we had something like 18 cut songs from between draft one and draft two. And what, there are, what, 22 songs in the show? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Something like um, that. But it was basically like we wrote to figure it out. Um, and we have, uh, you know, a, white, a giant whiteboard yeah. filled with uh, song titles and lists mm-hmm. of things that we wanted to go back to. I highly recommend whiteboarding. It is just... <laughs> It is the fiber of, of musical theater writing. Um, and I feel really fortunate um, to be able to work with Casey, a, a composer who really Duh. loves to uh, contribute to the story. Because I am a book writer who doesn't like to do it by myself. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't I really, know that she's lucky. I No, I thrive <laughs> in the collaboration um, and having somebody to really talk about. This amazing woman puts up with me <laughs> so much. And my obsess, my obsessive watching of videos on story structure and, and plot and character writing between Dan Harmon and Brandon Sanderson. It's well, just that, constant. But that was where we unlocked this second draft. Yeah. Because um, we were struggling. We were like, this doesn't feel like it's it's really fulfilling by the end. And like, we know these are the beats we want. How, like, how do we get there? Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was just something you said about, oh, these are all the correct beats, but they're just, you know, one off. They're one too early mm. um, that, on, I, on the story circle. The story circle, yeah. Um, and if we just shifted everything over a little bit, um, we're going to get to the heart of it. Yeah. I think that was the same conversation where we had the crazy idea to put on a socially distant mus- movie musical. Oh. <laughs> so. Both of these things are my fault. My <laughs> don't apologize it was a crazy time and we had a lot of fun yeah um but i mean uh, sorry I, I was just going to expound on process uh if um i don't know if that's interesting but uh, i mean obviously we live together we're married and so constantly writing together and being at home all the time at the height of the pandemic uh or at least at the height of lockdowns was just an opportunity for us to stay incredibly motivated and to keep writing, 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 writing. And to say, all right, well, we hit this beat, and what are the next beats that we want to hit? And then we would just make a checklist, and we would just go bang, 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 and knock them off. And then, you know, once we brought some some members of our team on board, like our director, Ellie, uh, and... Ellie was at script meetings with us once a week. Yeah, that was extra motivation, to, to well, you had to have to something to show her at yeah. the meeting, so oh, it yeah. was definitely a motivation. And I'd say there was maybe an even amount of you writing first and me writing first. Yeah, there were actually quite a few music first moments. Um, I like I like a music first. I, th- I find the song tends to be catchier that way. I think I do my better work if if I'm just kind of like tossing stuff without you know with without an ambition. Um, on, onto the page and then just being like, hey, Lily, can, can you put words on this? Yeah. I mean, as a lyricist, I work best, I think, when there's at least a seed of song, mm. when there's something I can listen to in my head to write to. And what what does the musical sound like? It's an excellent question. <laughs> um, I've been struggling with this question, <laughs> which is not, uh, which, you know, is not what a composer for musicals should struggle with because I'm supposed to be able to say, well, it's this meets this, you know, in an elevator pitch, but it's definitely the most different thing I've ever written. Like I come from a classical background and a lot of my stuff has been highly influenced, highly influenced by that and by the the jazz in my background as well. Uh, so the last two musicals I wrote before this, uh, Cat Massacre was the great Cat Massacre uh, that I wrote with Greg Moss. Uh, we co-wrote everything. It was very jazzy, very sort of 
lived in that weird area of um, like Little Shop and You're in Town and those strange little musicals that have fun, punchy, maybe jazzy scores, um, but also contemporary musical theater. And then, you know, Danny and the Rocket was kind of this ethereal show uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, but also had some fun contemporary musical theater. This one, I don't know. Well, you've, I think you can see all of that in there, um, but also a strong influence of pop because you started getting into pop music mm. in the last, <laughs> like, two years. Yeah, way late in the game. I mean, I just yeah, started listening, listening to... to like, 80s and 90s pop. I just, I just started listening to Avril Lavigne, you know? <laughs> and he'd have them on all the time. Um, and, and I think you can see that in a lot of the songs, which I think is actually really refreshing. But then you also have songs like the Aviator Hymn, which really rang true to where you came from. Oh yeah, that's definitely and it, it straight feels like up a choral piece. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a great variety. That, like ecle- eclectic contemporary is maybe the a big mashup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel but like it holds, it holds a, together a, a general unifying sound. Um, and when it dips out of that, it I I feel like it is for dramatic purposes, like the Aviator hymn this song that they can sing at a funeral or to sing about this thing that they love so much. Um, but, you know, also also dips into to my jazz roots as well in some areas, but, you know, in a slightly more contemporary pop-ish way. It sounds nice. Like, all mixed <laughs> stuff. Um, I, I want to now dive in into the production you're having. Mm-hmm. Um... With, with all the pandemic going on, where is the musical headed? So this production that we did is something so unique, and it's something that never would have happened had we not been in a pandemic and not been the scrappy people that we are that can't stand to sit still. Um, and, you know, it, it was a lot of stuff to figure out, um, like how to make people look like they're in the same room when people live all across the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and how to get people to record. We had like four different software programs open at any given time. Oh yeah. And we were all figuring it out and all the actors had to be their own stage crew. Um, and technicians. And we all had to learn it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we worked with, uh, a few film editors who put it together. And our sound designer as And well. our sound designer. Uh, <clears throat> we worked with some film people, which was interesting. That was, that was new. Um, mixed with theater people which is kind of like a shared language yeah I'm really really proud of the product we put together mm-hmm. it was it was like six to nine months I think of just meeting three four times a week to try to like work out these you know do we use lavalier mics do we use handheld mics do we do earbuds no earbuds yeah. do, do we do boxes on screen or do we use green screens and merge everyone into the same room yeah and that those were all hours long conversations or you know conversations that that lasted weeks um or or you know a couple months sometimes but basically from august 1st until the end of january was just a wild ride of rapid and aggressive collaboration between how many people were on this show did we end up hitting 20 probably yeah 
I mean, if you include the cast, definitely. Oh, definitely if we include the cast. But, like, the crew... At least 15. And I think it grew a little bit as we went. Because we took on some additional help in certain areas. And, yeah, I we definitely beat a dozen and a half, I think. And the production was, like, nothing I've seen yet in the pandemic. Or, you know, ever. Because it's not something people would think to do. You wouldn't think to just film everybody remotely and then green screen them together. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if we didn't have to, but it is something really unique and different. Um, and I'm very proud of the product that we have. Um, it aired, you know, at the end of January on Vimeo, um, we're, you know, looking into what we can do next. Uh, We had to take a breather. Um, (laughs) it was very intense towards the end. It was a lot of, you know, we're, we were a small scrappy crew. And we all were wearing like six different hats. And uh, I think I spent the week before, no, the the three weeks before the airing, just constantly on my computer doing mixing, orchestrating, and mastering. Not in that order, but it was just very intense. And, you know, our, our editors were also editing at the same time that I was doing that. And our sound designer was also fixing up all of the audio at the same time. We were all just sort of like, I'm done with this here. I'm passing it to you. And it was constantly just gears turning and then all I was hours. Learning how to do, I learned how to do Photoshop so that I could do graphics on social media, which is something I had never done before just to help out our, uh, our help out Becky and Ellie, who mm-hmm. were also wearing six other hats. And they were just like, we have to get these things done and we don't have enough hours in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, plus everyone has a day job, of course. So yeah. it's this is what when are we getting everything done? Um, there was a, a, quite a few all nighters polls mm-hmm. toward in the last three weeks. Can people still see it? At the moment, no. Um, we are working on what we can do to show it to people again. We're not we're not sure what that means or uh, what we will do. Uh, ideally, there'll be something in the future. We we just we don't know yet. We don't know yet what it is. It will be something. We are not done with the aviatrix, mm-hmm. um, and we we'll just have to figure out what it looks like next. Mm-hmm. Um, we a hundred percent. And one of the major things that we heard from people was, "We love this so much. I really want to see it on stage." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we sorely want to see as well. Um, and so we'll be working our butts off to get that to happen um, so that it's completely ready to go when we're back. Yeah. Uh, so we're ready, like packaged up and um, let's get it out there. Yeah. I, I also would love to like, I mean, of course, I'm so proud of the whole process, but particularly as a composer, I'm really, really proud of the work that we did on the score and would love to be able to showcase that in a way on its own. So I don't know what that looks like yet. There, there have been a couple of people who have asked about uh, doing a cast album. Uh, so far, that's, that's not in the cards because it wasn't a part of the original plan. Uh, and so that is something that we would have to just talk about and work out and you know, see how people are feeling about that. Uh, just because you know, we never talked about it. Uh, but I would love to do something with that because I think there's just there's these actors sound incredible Mm -hmm. they really put like they put their all into it and they sound so great well hopefully 
the pandemic will be over soon now that vaccination is going on globally. Um, I just read that today, um, theaters in Australia are opening back up. So that is a light in, uh, at the end of the tunnel. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I really, really want to see this pro fully produced, uh, either it's virtually or in, in a type of pro shot or uh, on the stage, because I, I think that the message you two have created is very powerful and, and, and it has, it is a statement that we need right now. And well, thank so, yeah. um, before we, we say our goodbyes, where can people find you and, and support the Aviatrix? Yeah, so we have uh, we have a website, www.theaviatrixmusical.com. And, uh, you know, it's, it's currently up to date with all the stuff that we did with this most recent production. And it will lead you to our Facebook and our Instagram. What's our Instagram handle? Um, I believe we're at Aviatrix Musical. Um, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we're also on TikTok. And, and, yes, we're on TikTok. Um, I don't know our handles for TikTok. No, I don't either. <laughs> I, I think if you Google the Aviatrix musical, you'll be able to find all these things. I don't think we're young enough to understand TikTok. <laughs> We've crossed that threshold. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, you know, we'll, we will be putting out some stuff, uh, you know, be it big or small, in the near and and distant future so you can look out for that there's also some we've got one video up on 10 glow as well yes um yes Lily was just I recently have, i uh, started a, a 10 glow for myself it's a very new social media platform for musical theaters specifically um so i thought why not jump on that train um and she was featured as as yes. one of their oh gosh, on the website forgot. so you can you can check out our yeah. song, uh, Lady Bird, on there, sung by Tanisha Moore, who played Harriet in the show. Oh, and did she play Harriet? She sang that part brilliantly. Oh, yeah. Could not have asked for a better... Her, she shines um, as Harriet. Um, I, so, I particularly love that cut that we did with her in, in the video. It just... That that yeah. one really... I mean, the one she did in the film as well is incredible, but... Yeah, that song is, is around on social media, and... Yeah. Um, you should definitely watch it. But yeah, they did a deep dive into the lyrics on that, mm -hmm. which was really, really cool. Yeah. That is awesome. I'll be sure to um, add every handle, link, and everything uh, to lead people your way. Um, one last question before we go. <laughs> a no-brainer for you, too. Top five favorite musical theater shows. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm so basic when it comes to musical theater. Um, my favorite musical of all time is Wicked. Um, huge fan. Um, I also am a big fan of the uh, the team Aaron's and Flaherty. Uh, they are my uh, my idols. Um, so I, I love. I particularly love uh, Once on This Island um, and Susical, which I grew up with. Oh gosh, I love every musical. <laughs> I love I love every and musical. And you know so many that I'm just like, I've never heard of that. Uh, gosh, what what is your favorite? Well, uh Hamilton is definitely my favorite. I I am going to be a basic bitch. <laughs> Hamilton is my favorite and you know, it, I do find that funny considering my my history and my background in 
and classical music. I spent yeah. years of my life only listening to Mahler, Strauss, and Beethoven no, and, and Mozart. There, there, and there's no hip-hop in this show. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> but Hamilton, hands down, is my favorite. And then uh, beyond that, I'm going to try and not not dwell on minutia as to which one is better or not, but like it's basically the M's. It's like Les Mis, Book of Mormon. Um, I, I used to count Music Man up there, but I think recently I've discovered some other ones that I like more. A soft spot for the music man and um, it's very nostalgic for me like i've recently come to really love the the cast album for curtains and dirty rotten scoundrels such hidden gems yeah oh oh hades town oh, i mean hades damn town. that show is amazing yeah you didn't know any musical theater um when you came into nyu mm-hmm. um, i knew and, a little bit i knew then, the basic stuff yeah i've been a musical theater nerd my whole life I haven't listened to any other types of music besides musical theater. People say pop song singer, pop singers, and I don't know who they are. Uh, um, yeah, same with me. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm also like uh, really into the prom lately. I've been really enjoying that, and that was one where I went in being like, "All right, I know what the flavor is, and like it won't be bad, but I don't think I'll." I'll be super into it. And then I came out of that show like, yes. So, I like my, that songwriting team also because they yeah. wrote The Wedding Singer, which was a, another show I loved. Mm. Well, thank you so much for being over. Um, and I cannot wait for everything that's to come for your musical and any other production that you're working on. Oh, yes. Thank, cross your fingers uh, that we, we make it through this and that we can uh, see the Aviatrix live on stage. Yeah. Yes, I know it will. So thank you so much and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.